Uh, I'm going to say no one's better than me. But <laughs> this thing on hi there i'm kyle krabs host of locked on dolphins and ready to step outside the spectrum of the nfl draft the miami dolphins and their rebuild and more specifically talk today about the past we're talking about doing mount rushmore's today for yours truly so this is this is going to be my personal Mount Rushmore, and the way I decided to do this, because I think it's important to dif- divide the Dolphins. Can't do a single Mount Rushmore and expect to commit an entire episode to it. We're going to be doing the Miami Dolphins from the start of their franchise to the year 2000, and then the year 2000 to present day. So my active lifetime and fanhood will be represented in the back half. The 2000 to 2020, that is two-thirds of my adult life, or two-thirds of my life, my entire adult life. We're going to start with history on our side. This is an idea that was brought to me by a fan. The people reached out on Instagram, at Grinding the Tape, Twitter, iTunes, uh, reviews, getting some good questions there. I see you guys. Don't worry. So I continue to thrive on your feedback on what you want to hear us talk about today. Mount Rushmore's. I think the Mount Rushmore for Miami Dolphins prior to the year 2000, the historical group, is pretty straightforward. You've got Dan Marino, greatest quarterback of all time, as far as a raw thrower of the quarterback. He's the best passer of all time. He's a man before time. You really think about Dan and the records that he set in the season he had, obviously, in 84 when he won the MVP and Miami went to and lost the Super Bowl and 5,000 yards and 48 passing touchdowns and, and numbers that weren't even sniffed for 25 years after that, which is pretty incredible. And you think about what Dan could do now, these days, and that's where the intro to this podcast comes from, is I believe he was doing a show with Dan Patrick, and they asked, you know, what could you do these if you were playing in the NFL today? Dan's like, oh, I'd throw for 6,000 yards. And they're like, all right, is there like anybody else in your time frame that you feel like would be in that same boat, or do you feel like there's nobody better than you, Dan? Being Dan, I'm going to say, nobody's better than me. Dan Marino, the obvious choice for players. And I say for players because I do think Don Shula is another slam dunk lock choice for a Mount Rushmore all-time. I don't care who you are. Don commandeered this franchise in its infancy and literally created 30 years of the most successful football team in the NFL over the course of that time. If you omit Super Bowl championships, which 
Don Juan two in Miami. The problem is you want them both in 72, 73, and then coached again until 95 and didn't win another one. But there's some pretty incredible numbers here on Don Shula that and I wanted to talk to you guys about. Don Shula was a head coach in the NFL for 33 years. He did seven years in Baltimore. It was 71 and 23, 76% win percentage. For 26 years, he was the head coach in Miami. And Miami, he, over 26 years, he had a 66% win percentage. Do you know how many losing seasons Don Shula had as a head coach in the NFL? Over 33 years. There's one. In 1976, the team went 6-8. Got to go all the way down to 1988, where the team went 6-10. and 10. And that's it. <laughs> this man had two losing seasons as an NFL head coach. Two. Two! It's mind-numbing to think that he was a head coach for 30 Three years. How many times over that same time span did he win 12-plus games? Including playing in an era where you played 14 for a while. They switched over to a 16-game schedule in 1978. So the first 15 years of this man's career, he was coaching with 14-game schedule, and over those years, he still won one, two, three, four. Four times won 12 or more games. Five, six, seven, eight. Eight times won, won 12 or more games. He had four times as many seasons of 12 wins or more than he had losing seasons at all in the NFL. His teams won three total championships. Miami won all five of their AFC championships under his watch. Don Shula, goat head coach. I don't care. I don't care about Bill Belichick. I don't. Still don't care. Now it gets interesting because everybody generally perceives Dan and Don faces of the franchise. So if you're not familiar, Pro Football Reference has a, a metric designed to indicate value of players. And the next highest guy over the course of their entire careers in Miami, as far as career approximate value, which is the name of the metric, Bob Greasy comes in at number four. Uh, Bob Greasy played 13 years, Pro Football Hall of Famer, four-time Pro Bowler, uh, former top five overall pick, 1967 NFL draft, played his entire career in Miami. Almost won twice as many games as he started, or uh, as he lost. Hard to measure especially because you consider Greasy played in an era in which the Dolphins, they were known for their ground and pound. They beat the tar out of you. 
and they challenge you to stop them. And he was kind of a complimentary piece. But I do think the sustained success that he had over his 13-year career, being the quarterback who, admittedly, he went 5-0 and in the undefeated season. The year after that, they went 12-1. and He was the quarterback through only through eight interceptions. Also only threw for 1,400 yards that year. But this was the field general of the Dolphins when they were a dynasty. I think Bob Greasy, as a quarterback in the 70s on that team, definitely deserves a place on the pre-2000, my pre-2000 Miami Dolphins Rushmore. Mount Rushmore. And the last spot goes to Larry Sonk. Because I remember watching, I was negative 17 when the Dolphins went undefeated and won the Super Bowl. But I remember watching the clips. And it's the history of the Miami Dolphins DVD and whatnot. And that three-year stretch, 71, 72, 73, which Sonk went off for 1,000 yards in each of those three seasons. And the way in which he did it was literally just dragging grown men against their will. It was really, really fun to watch. And I don't think we collectively as a group talk enough about our hatred for the World Football League. Because the World Football League is what pulled away the likes of Larry Sanka. Dolphins were back-to-back Super Bowl champions. They lose in 74. Never mind the way they lost in 74. was a hard pill to swallow, too. This was the Sea of Hands games. If you're not familiar, this was the divisional round of the AFC playoffs in 1974. The Dolphins are winning this football game, and Stabler throws a touchdown pass with less than a minute left on the clock to win the football game. And it was like he was in the grasp of a defender and literally just throws up a prayer. And it makes its way through like five Dolphins defenders for the play that ends the Dolphins' quote-unquote dynasty at the time. So the Raiders win that football game. The Raiders then go on, and they lose to the Steelers in the AFC Championship game that year. And the Steelers, I believe, end up going on to win the Super Bowl that year. Yes, they beat the Vikings 16-10. to But then Paul Warfield, Jim Kick, and Larry Sanka leave to go play for Memphis in the WFL, and they're offering like a million dollars to leave. So they literally strip Miami of three of their most potent offensive weapons in the midst of the team's dynasty. And Larry ends up coming back and plays in New York for three seasons before coming back and playing 1979 with the Dolphins and then retiring. Can you imagine what would have happened (laughs) if they didn't leave? But instead, I mean, offensively, the team got gutted to lose Kick, Sanka, and uh, Paul Warfield all in the same shot. Same offseason. They all went to Memphis, played one season, and suddenly 
they're back in the NFL. But you think about the Dolphins in their their dynasty years. Sanka's the face of it because he's the guy with the ball that is forearm shivering opposing defenders into the turf. And those images are the iconic for me. You know, you think about the no name, you know, the killer bees. And you think about the no name defense and Manny Fernandez. The, those are the iconic images for me as a Dolphins fan that wasn't alive for that era is Larry Sanka rumbling through linebackers like they're not even there. So maybe he doesn't hold the most like pure value of the rest of the Dolphins. I know some of these offensive linemen that they have, the Hall of Famers, Dwight Stevenson, Jim Langer, they are Larry Little. They're all legendary offensive linemen. But for me, Sanka gets the spot because... He was the face, and he is the guy who is in all of those iconic images. Shifting gears, we want to move to 2000 and later. This is a challenging proposition to come up with Mount Rushmore because the contributors throughout this 20-year stretch of Miami Dolphins football is... Okay, I mean, you've got two obvious home run picks. First bout, Hall of Famer, Jason Taylor. Started his career in 97. By the time Jason Taylor was Jason Taylor, we were in the 2000s. Jason Taylor's first double-digit sack season was 2000. He was an all-pro. He had 14 half sacks. Then he went 8.5, 18.5, 13, 9.5, 12, 13.5, 11. Went to Washington for one stupid year, and then he was back in Miami, and then he went to the Jets for one stupid year, and then he was back in Miami, and then he was done. 139.5 total sacks. 131 of them came in Miami. Man, that 2006 year was something. And then Defensive Player of the Year. Stats this year. Two interceptions, two touchdowns. Nine forced fumbles. Nine forced fumbles. 13 and a half sacks, 12 tackles for loss. It was everywhere. 11 passes defensed for defensive end. And the touchdowns bit of it is just so cool. Jason Taylor had nine career touchdowns. It's a defensive on defense with 139 sacks. Just, he's special. Really, really special. Zach Thomas is another one. Zach Thomas is popular to bag on Zach Thomas because we get so possessive of Zach. And uh, <laughs> hard to blame us. When you think about Zach as an all-time underdog story, fifth-round pick, 96 draft. By the time Zach was all pro and, and had earned that recognitions from himself. It was 98, 99. And then he proceeds to rip off a series of stretch, a series of games, 2000 or 2001 through 2006. Zach's least amount of tackles he had in a single season was 145. And he's ripping off like double digit tackles for loss in these, in these seasons. 10 passes defensed in 03. 
had a stretch of five years. He made five first-team All-Pros. Don't get me started on the the first ballot Hall of Famer, Brian Erlacher, BS, and Zach Thomas not even getting in at this point. Literally, the only thing you're you're coveting is, I mean, Zach had 17 interceptions, four defensive touchdowns. He's had some incredible years. One of his best seasons was uh, 2000, or 1998, first year he got all pro, but I'm not splitting hairs. The beef of his accolades came 2000 later, so he's on my list. Here's where it gets fun. Uh, I think Cam Wake's got to be on this list. Wake is like the guy of the 2010s. He and Rashad Jones. Rashad Jones is not my pick for the last spot. Cam Wake, especially like coming in as a 27-year-old rookie. You, I remember hearing the buzz. This is fun because this was like the time of year. Like I was fresh out of high school. I was in college at the time. I remember hearing the buzz about Cam Wake. He comes in, and he has a nice little season to start. Started one game, and then he blows up in 2010. He led the league in tackles for Lawson at 14 sacks. But you think about, you know, if you've ever played Madden, anytime you got a guy on your roster and it's like he's 33, you say, well, he's probably past his physical peak. Maybe it's time I trade him, or maybe it's time I look for somebody else. Like, Cam Wake, halfway through his career, was 32. And then he tore his Achilles at 33 in 2015. And it was so easy to be like, well, writing's on the wall. That sucks. But we should probably get ready for life after Cam. 33-year-old, torn Achilles. And then he comes back and he gets 22 sacks in the next two seasons. Ageless wonder, man. Even that final year, 2018, in Miami as a 36-year-old, he was so much more of a pest than what the six stats will or six sacks will remember him as. Ten years in Miami, 98 sacks, 97 tackles for loss. If Cam Wake did not play another down in the NFL, he would have started as a 27-year-old free agent signing from the CFL who had a hundred and a half career sacks, got his last two and a half in Tennessee. Tip of the hat, brother. And I hope we get to see you again. I hope he plays. I know they were talking about how he was in conversations. There was some speculation that he might be retiring, but uh, his, his agent seemed to ax that pretty quick. So anybody on the defensive side of the football that's going to get involved here? I kind of want to give it to Ricky Williams. Ricky Williams is like a great redemption story, right? Spends his first three years in New Orleans, gets traded to Miami, goes off for almost 1,900 yards, rushing. Carried the ball 383 times and then 292 times. Dave Weinstadt ran him into the ground to the point where he retired. And then he said, well, maybe that was a bit premature. And he comes back. <laughs> he plays 12 games. And then he gets suspended for substance abuse and misses in another entire season. And then he comes back in 2007 and he tears his pec. 
in that disastrous Cam Cameron season. But I can I can remember few things after the 2008 season in which the Dolphins went 11 and 5 won the division. Sands Tom Brady shouts Tom for leaving. That made me more happy or that I pulled for actively than for Ricky Williams to get two things. A thousand yard season, which he got in 2009. And for him to finish his career with over 10,000 career rushing yards. Ricky's NFL career spanned 13 years. And the dead heart of it was a year he retired, a year he played 12 games, a year he was suspended, and a year he carried the ball six times. So he played five years, three in New Orleans, two in Miami, had a stretch of four years where he played in 13 games, and then came back and played another four years, three of which were in Miami, one of which, in 2009, the man rushed for 1,100 yards and 11 touchdowns. For him to have that kind of personal redemption to his personal story was really cool. And then he goes to Baltimore in 2011. He plays one year in Baltimore and just barely gets over. He finished his career with 10,009 rushing yards. Seven seasons in Miami. Rushed for 6,436 yards, 48 touchdowns. Had 7,800 yards from from scrimmage. 7,800 yards and 54 touchdowns. For Ricky to endure his own personal demons the way that he did. And to find redemption on the football field to the way that he did to be a piece of a division championship team in 2008 to go for 1,100 yards in 2009 and finish his career with 10,000 rushing yards despite a four-year stretch where he rushed for 700 yards because he retired and then got a drug suspension for substance abuse and then tore his peck three out of four years. That's a really cool story. And that was something that I remember actively rooting for. So for Ricky's accomplishments in all, I feel like I have to give an offensive player in here. I'm not going to put Brian Hartline on here just because he went over 1,000 yards. It feels cheap. There's no quarterback that really warrants the attention. So we're going to give it to Ricky. So in summary, my personal Mount Rushmore is for the Miami Dolphins. I have Dan, Don, Bob Greasy, Larry Sanka. Ironically, no defense in the era in which the Dolphins' defense was ferocious, but I think they'd like it that way, to be honest with you. And then 2000 and later, quote-unquote modern era. I know modern era extends further back, but for my own personal aging purposes as a 30-year-old. Jason Taylor, Zach Thomas, Cam Wake, Ricky Williams. If you disagree, I'd love to hear from you. Love to hear who is on your personal Miami Dolphins Mount Rushmore pre-2000 and post-2000. Kyle Krabs, I know this was a uh, little bit of a different style 
but I think it's fun to take a break, stop, smell the roses, catch your breath every once in a while. And we'll we'll dig back in tomorrow. Dig into what the hell the Dolphins are going to do, where they go from here, what we should expect, what we should be preparing for. Because there's a lot of combinations that have a lot of final outcomes that we probably haven't talked enough about. So we'll be getting into some of those scenarios over the course of the next couple of weeks. Three weeks till the 2020 NFL Draft. I'm Kyle Krabs. Thanks for listening to Locked on Dolphins. I'll catch up with you guys again tomorrow.